Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Hello, hello. Good to see you all. my porch, my lovely porch, where I paint things. <laughs> Welcome to Revolution. Um, the UK was great. Lost my, my fingernail clipper, but got a new one, and I just forgot to use it, but I'm going to use it so you guys are, so, so my nails will be nice and short soon, but not enough time for this. How's everyone doing this morning? Good morning. Greet your neighbors. <laughs> Say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I remember that was like the, 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 the thing they always said at PTL. The would always be the worship leader's clever line. Um, oh, there you are. <laughs> I can see you now. Um, yeah, here we are. Um, welcome to another episode of Revolution Gathering. Glad you are all here and gathered with us this uh, wonderful Sunday morning. Um, today's kind of a sad day for me. Um, what's new, right? Um, my best friend, Peter Rollins, is moving back to uh, Belfast. Now, we'll see each other and we'll hang out, but... He's just, he's moving back to Belfast for a bit, and uh, a little sad, a little sad, not going to lie. Um, you know, uh, I don't care what anybody says about Peter Rollins, he's a good man. <laughs> um, yeah, Pete Rollins is uh, not just been my best friend and best mate for almost 15 years, I guess, um, but... Yeah, he's he's impacted my life in a lot of really amazing ways. I don't think I'd ever brought up would have really ever gotten into Hegel or Tillich or or any of those weird philosophers. And you guys would, you know, probably be able to understand what I'm talking about and we'd be a multi billion dollar ministry if it wasn't for Pete Rollins. So thank you, Pete. Thank you for confusing me with your theological ways and uh saving my life a few times. That's been nice. And uh being a boring bastard just like me and uh, also being able to, sometimes we make each other laugh and it's really hilarious. Like, you know, when you just kind of get lost in laughter and you just laugh at something and it's ridiculous. So um, don't be gone long or at least prepare a place for me in Ulster. Um, so yeah, that's, if you guys know, I'm kind of an introvert, so I don't, I don't hang out a lot, um, good or bad or whatever. Um, obviously, I don't let the pressures of, of that stuff fall on my shoulders. I just try to be who I am and uh, grateful to have, have, have Pete Rollins in my life and I'd be glad to spend some more time in Belfast with him as well and all that. Um, so last week, we just kind of did like an update, and I, some of you asked how London was because you didn't watch last week. Because I don't know, if we, know if we we did post it, I think, um, but we didn't put it on, on uh, we didn't make a a podcast out of it. London was fantastic. I did a talk about London um, that you guys can check out, um, and about seeing the play and and uh, how really amazing it is to see people. Um, continue to restore and, and love my mother and speak great things about my mom. Um, hey, Kate. Um, one of the things, um, you know, it was really interesting is, 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 uh, is, as I was in my, seeing my, my therapist, my analyst, and he was like, you know, he's like, oh, he's like, you know, you, you don't have to, you know, he's like, all these people are doing this job of, of restoring your mom. And one of the things I was thinking that was really cool about it and and then we'll get into the talk because I think today's talk's a pretty good one. Um, got me some time to not doing it last week. 
I believe it's going to be way better. I believe you're going to get 100% or 99% rather than like 75% you would have gotten last week. And it's almost a completely different talk. So that's cool. Um, but one of the, uh, the really great things is I was thinking about my mom and, and these movies and like how a documentary like 20 years ago, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, then became that film, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. And now there's this you know, the Tammy Faye, the musical and all this weird stuff and, and really celebrating her love for people. And I, I always just think about that verse where Jesus said, they will know you belong to me when, right before, you know, at the end of the end of uh, the last supper, you know, he goes, Hey guys, you know, I want you to, you know, give you a new commandment. And it's not a really a new commandment at all. Um, because I want you to love each other. And he goes, I really want you to love each other because the world will know that you belong to me for your love for one another. And, um, and to see the world celebrating my mother for her love for others is really a testament to her life and her work. Um, and a lot of, it's so funny, a lot of pastors and preachers might push back and be like, oh, they're just celebrating secular and ear tickling. But no, what they're celebrating is genuine love and, um, and, and, and genuine Christianity. And, uh, you know, so people might remember you for your theology or your philosophy or... <laughs> or what you were against, um, but that's not how Jesus said they would know we belong to him. He said he would know we would be Christians and followers of Christ by our love for one another. And I'm grateful and honored that my mother's life is being celebrated for the fact that she loved others. And I think that speaks volumes. Um, so, yeah, thank you everyone uh, out there who continues to celebrate that love and recognize that. And uh, maybe more folks will wake up to that reality of uh, what we're really called to do. Um, so today we are going to talk about redemption. So the first thing I did was go in and rewrite this talk. Uh, I got I put up a little video asking for some of your input. Not a lot. A lot of you guys not really giving a lot of input there. I mean, I see a few people here, but not that many people put input. And that's okay. That's okay. Um, participation is not demanded here at Revolution. Um, but so, so, so I asked some of you guys, and we're going to, I worked that kind of into the, the talk as well and started having some different thoughts about redemption and, and what redemption is. Um, and I was thinking for me, the strange thing about redemption for me is when I think about it and what does it mean to me? is uh, it's not always been, it's not always been like, I never really thought of it as like salvation. But uh, really when you look in redemption and you hear a lot of people talk about redemption, it has to do with salvation. Um, for me, redemption has always been kind of like, well, I'll get to that in a minute. But it's just one of those things that I kind of always saw redemption as just kind of like victory or you, you made a comeback or, or something like that, you know. Um, but I'll, I'll read some different um, biblical uh, understandings of redemption and uh, read what those mean. But um, but it's always been a strange. It's been strange to me. So that's why I thought we should do a talk on this. Um, and 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 I thought of a perfect example. And I think that Sinead O'Connor is a perfect example of redemption. Now, hold on a minute here, and let's go through this. Um, usually I have a Sinead O'Connor album right there, but my kids knocked it down, and somehow that was behind it. Um, and I put it back in the records because I didn't want that record to get messed up. Um, <laughs> so, um, so, so Sinead O'Connor, for example, um, she has a, there's a documentary, I think it's called Nothing Compares, or nothing, yeah, Nothing Compares or Nothing Compares to You. There's a documentary, I think it's on Cinemax. If you have HBO Plus, you can watch it. I actually, or is it HBO Plus or is it Hulu? I don't know. One of those things that connected to it, I actually subscribed just so I could watch the, the documentary on her. Um, if you know, if you follow me on Instagram, you know I've been a Sinead O'Connor fan forever. I love her. Um, I think she's the best. I don't think she's ever made a bad album. And um, 
she had some controversy starting, it actually started out with her not wanting to play the, uh, the national anthem at the beginning of one of her concerts. And of course, a lot of, a lot of us freedom lovers got really upset about that. I don't even barely remember it. I remember it somewhat, but people got angry and was like, well, she doesn't want to play it, you know, send her back to Ireland, you know, and all that crap that we do. And she's trying to make a deeper message, political message, and people don't see it. The first time I ever saw her, she was on a, on an award show and she was singing and she had a, she had a, um, it, it looked like a, uh, like a scope, tell us like a scope, like a gun scope thing on her head and it ended up being it was the public enemy image and the reason she had the public enemy image logo on her head was because she was protesting because they weren't doing anything for hip-hop and rap at these award ceremonies so she's always been a very outspoken woman well of course i guess it was probably 87 88 maybe 89 uh she had that famous snl skit where she rips the picture of the pope in half after her song and she goes fight the real enemy and everybody went nuts. Everybody turned on her. SNL turned on her. They banned her for life. Uh, all the news media outlets. She went to sing at this Bob Dylan tribute concert, and um, everybody booed her. And that's when Chris Christopherson walked up and whispered in her ear, don't let the bastards get you down, which I always thought was an amazing moment. Um, I remember I remember my, my initial response to the booing at the thing was, because, I mean, I was just a teenager. I was going like, Wow, I didn't realize there were so many Catholics <laughs> uh, around. Um, but here, given, what, 30 years on, there's this great documentary about her and how what she was protesting was uh, child abuse uh, in, in the Catholic Church, which we all know has happened and, and came out, and how the Pope was covering that up and all this kind of stuff, and how she was outraged by you know these priests molesting children and now we're all going like oh yes oh of course of course and i think i i i've i've read a lot of different things about people and what they've said and i, and I remember seeing something saying oh the redemption of sinead o'connor you know and we you know she was right and what i realized was is that it's not about sinead o'connor's redemption it wasn't Sinead O'Connor who needed redeeming. It was us. We just didn't know the truth. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know the depths of the suffering and the, and, and the, mis, the horrible miscarriage of justice that these kids were facing every day and being abused by people they trusted. And she brought it to our attention. So for me, it's not the rest, you know, it's not the redemption of Sinead O'Connor. It's the redemption of us. It's the story of us coming to a realization going like, oh, now we know the truth. We were blind and now we see. And that's often what happens with leaders is uh, who are ahead of their time as they speak out and they say these things and they're trying to lead us to a place of redemption. Um, but often we're too blind to see. We, we were too, you know, well, this is how things should be. We're, our dialectic thinking gets in the way our black and white thing, our misinformation or not enough information. And so we don't, we don't want to trust the, the, the prophet that has been, been brought to us and, and is exposing us to this truth. And so, you know, we, we shame them and we say they're bad and we say they're wrong and we go, get away. I mean, I think my mom went through something very similar with her life and career until, you know, now 20 odd years, 15 years after her death, people are kind of going like, oh, this woman really loved people, you know. And it's like, it's not so much about redeeming these people as much as it is redeeming us and us being exposed to what the truth is about seeing something. And often that takes time. Um, you know, so, so I think that's an interesting way of looking at redemption is not just like, well, redemption means they got their career back and now they're accepted and people are celebrating them. It's going, well, actually it's, it's that they were always in the right place. It just took us a long time to really find that moment. They led us to redemption, you know, and it took us 20 years to get there. You know, they led us to redemption. It took us 15 years. It took us 30 years to get to that point of redemption to see the truth and say, oh, there is great injustice and we have to fight for this. Um, and I think that's why, you know, the Bible says, those who have ears be willing to listen, you know. It talks about how beautiful are the feet that brings the good news, you know. Um, 
and to me that's that's quite quite a cool thing quite a cool journey to be on is that that we are often being led to to moments of redemption in our own lives through those that sometimes we've thrown out or considered less than i mean you know dr king obviously is someone who's always working on leading us to redemption um dr king was trying to redeem black and white people at the same time in in, in two groups that had two Two very different needs, you know. Um, you know, racist white people needed to realize that African American people were human beings and were being mistreated and were being treated unjustly. And he used nonviolence to hopefully open the eyes. And I put a clip up on the uh, Revolution Instagram stories. So if you go on there, you'll see an MLK clip of him doing an interview and him talking about nonviolence. And if you click on it, his daughter Bernice posted it. You can watch the whole that whole little clip. There's actually the I think that whole movie is available online. The whole interview is available online. But there's a big part of this interview is him talking about nonviolence and how it's important to both folks, all of us. And I think it's really vital. And I think it's really worth watching because it's it's just it's another level of thinking of what redemption really is and even redeeming those who persecute us. Um, and, and as the Bible talks about loving those who persecute us, and, and that love can lead to a redemption. Um, so for me, I had a, a really like Freudian slip with this uh, redemption talk um, because I was going into my my Bible dictionary, and I was like, I'm gonna you know look up redemption and really get it down and be able to know what to talk about it on Sunday and and, uh, and so I'm going I look it up and highlighting everything yes this is good and what I realized is you know because I was asking everybody what does redemption mean to you and what I realized was I had looked up um, um, restoration instead of redemption and I went straight to restoration and was underlining all the stuff in restoration and why I think that's an interesting slip is because that's, in my mind, that's what redemption is for me, I guess, is restoration, is when we restore people. So in a way, I can see how I would have originally thought, like, the idea of people now celebrating what Sinead O'Connor did would, would be her redemption. Um, but in a way, really, it's our redemption, you know, it, it's our restoration in a way to to truth or open our eyes to a redemption maybe her restoration and our redemption and so restoration and redemption happening together and i think that's a really beautiful way of understanding that it's like oh our redemption we realize we were we were redeemed by this message of this person we reject you know we restore and we redeem and all this is happening you know and i think grace why i've always spoken about grace and feel that grace is so important plays such a huge part in that grace is what brings us to restoring restoring ourselves accepting ourselves accepting our others others and leads to the restoration and leads to redemption and allows us to see these things a little bit more clearly um and look back and go oh i was the one who was in the need of redemption the whole time you know i was you know stepping on CDs and burning things because I thought, oh, the Pope is so innocent. Um, and I'm not damning the Pope. I, I don't know the Pope. I didn't know that Pope. Um, a lot of people loved him. But what I'm saying is, is there was also a lot of horrible things that were happening there, and it's complex, and there's a lot of contradictions there, horrific contradictions that were allowed to continue to go on, and ridiculous horrors that were allowed to go on. Um, there's a great song by Chris Christopherson called My Sister Sinead. Um, if you get a chance, look that song up. It's really fantastic. It's all about her. Um, so for me, the Freudian slip was looking up <laughs> restoration instead of redemption. And for me, my favorite verse on restoration, I think, is in Galatians 6.1, where it says, you know, if someone falls and makes a mistake, you should gently, humbly restore them. If you think you're too good to restore someone, you're only fooling yourself. So... Restoration is always a big part of that. So obviously restoration and redemption play a big place in my heart, my mind, and my life. And I like the Freudian slips because I feel like sometimes they 
they speak to us beyond the conscious, you know, they go into the unconscious of what really drives us. And I think I've been driven my whole life by restoration because I think of the lack of restoration I felt that I saw within my own family growing up and within the church. So I've always felt like, oh, I need to restore the church. I need to restore these people. I need to make sure this doesn't happen again. And, um, and in some ways that's been healthy in some way that's not been very healthy. And I've had to work on that with therapy and an analyst on those things to kind of grow from that, you know. Um, Ozzy, I think I'm getting the name right. They have a long Instagram name and I just took the first part because they didn't have their name underneath there. Uh, on Instagram, uh, sent me this thing and said, this, was talking about redemption. It said, this Shawshank redemption um, is, uh, was, was a big inspiration for them on what redemption was and, and how the main character in the Shawshank redemption never gives up and is always chipping away at the walls of the prison. You know, he makes that giant hole. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this movie that came out 30 years ago, um, digs a hole out of this, through the wall, gets down, gets out of the prison, crawls through the sewer. It's really disgusting. And then ends up on the beach. And this is how I've seen redemption. And what I thought was interesting about that is sometimes I think that's why we hear about self-care or we go to see psychoanalysts or we see therapists, psychiatrists, even medical doctors, why we read, why we study, why we talk to each other is, is sometimes for our own personal type of redemption. Um, I got sent a video uh, by another friend of mine and it was, um, it was this guy who was an ex, uh, Nazi skinhead. And, um, I think he was also a member of the Klan. Um, usually those two don't join right together, but this guy was, had a lot of that stuff going on. And he was being interviewed and he was talking about how, you know, there's a lot of that dialectic thinking, us and them thinking. And he was like, I'm really grateful to my two friends who were willing to disagree with me, but sit down and listen to me and talk with me. And one was uh, a, a black man and one was this white guy. And he was saying, my two friends right here are the reason I'm not this way anymore. This is what's led me to redemption was that these folks were willing to sit down with me even when I hated one of them because of the color of their skin. You know, even when I, I, I hated them, I, they listened. Like their listening overcame my hate for them, my prejudice against them, that they listened to me and they talked to me and they showed me love and care and respect. And this other person showed me love and care and respect. And these are the two guys, these two people right here are the reason that I was able to escape you know, this, this community that I thought loved me and cared about me based on hate of the other, based on hate of, of hating Jews and, and, and African-Americans and, and Asians and, you know, all these, you know, I hated everyone who wasn't white, but then these two folks who came and spent time with me and listened to me, talked to me and argued with me and had conversations with me, I could sense their love for me. And that's what freed me from that oppression. That was the redemption. The redemption happened within conversation. And I thought, how beautiful, I, I believe it, my friend Teresa sent it to me, uh, how beautiful is the feet that bring the good news? You know, the, the, it happened through conversation. It didn't happen through him reading somebody saying like, oh, these racist bastards or, you know, all racists are assholes and they should all be shot in the back of the head. And they should, you know, it wasn't that. It was people saying, I will sit down and I will listen. And I will sit down and I will not only listen, but I will also tell you the truth. But I will tell you the truth out of love. And this led this guy to like repentance, repent, change of mind. That's really what repentance means, is a change of mind or a turn from something to something else. And so that's what happens. That's what happened through tough conversations. And we talk so much about arguing and arguing well that, um, uh, that, you know, that I was like, love to see this because that's what, what happened for this guy. Is that he, people sat down and listened to him and had a conversation and were willing to talk and share humanity. And one of the things that says that that that, that Hegel talks about is is this this idea of when we come together, even through conflict. And, and I think uh, 
Freud as well speaks about this, when we come together through conflict, we still have this recognition of each other's humanity. And I think that's another important thing of why I put that clip of uh, Dr. King on the Revolution Instagram, um, is that what happens when, what he, his goal was with nonviolence was that similar thing of that, that restoration, that something that happens when people come together and are forced to interact, even if that interaction is uh, violence against one person. Um, and with this other man who, who, who was able to leave uh, this racist world, he was, you know, because people listened to him and talked to him, it was this recognizing of each other's humanity. And, you know, love, this is why love is, I, I think, misunderstood often in the Bible as works, is, is people always want, oh, you got to work hard and you got to do all this. But yeah, when it talks about loving others, that, and it's just picking up your cross and dying to yourself and all those things, that's talking about love. You know, it's not talking about like, don't go listen to the uh, new Nine Inch Nails album because that is sacrilegious and don't play uh, Pokemon because that's of the devil. You know, I mean, all the weird stuff that with the great distractions of, of what I grew up in the church was always the great distractions of, oh, the devil's over there in music and the devil's over there in the club, you know, and I'm like, well, maybe, you know. Maybe the devil's in what, when we don't love each other, you know, and when we treat each other as enemies and all this binary thinking we have as Christians of us against them, that seems to be the greatest fault to us that we're known not for our love, but we're known for what we're against. This doesn't seem to be the idea and concept of what Christianity was when it began and when Christ came and then when Paul came and into Christianity and started talking about it. It doesn't seem to be these ideas and didn't seem to be what was carrying things forward. Um... And I'm grateful to have had a mother who saw that. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I had to share my mother with thousands of people, millions of people. She was famous and things like that, so I didn't always have her there. But I'm grateful uh, that I, for the moments I did, and especially near the end of her life, we got to spend a lot of great time together. And she was one of my best friends. And I'm grateful to have somebody who saw that without having to look at theology or without having to read philosophy or not. It just instinctively was like, we've got to love better. You know, we've got to love each other more. And I'm not quite sure why this isn't more of a popular topic within the church. I mean, I, I know in some ways because I think people get their pleasure out of, out of fear. You know, um, the unconscious sometimes gets this, you get this pleasure principle out of, of, of you know, we might lose control. They might take away our, our freedoms of religion. They may bring in bad, so we have this fear, and this, and this constant fear kind of keeps us amped, and what we don't realize unconsciously is this is kind of where we live in a comfort zone of, of keeping all of our chemicals spewing in our brain and moving forward that, oh, we might lose this, you know? And I've seen that happen a little bit with even, even my progressive friends and stuff, is like now it's like, oh, what if they do this? What and we live in this kind of like constant like mode, of, oh, we gotta protect, save, keep, blah, blah, from them, save me from them, you know? And, and biblically saying there is no us and them. There is no male or female, uh, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, you know? It's like we're all one in Christ. So recognize each other's humanity and come together. Not easily done and probably not the reason, uh, reason why that's not talked about often. Rather, I feel like the church has gotten into these ideas of like some sort of sin management or, um, you know, holy living. So as long as you're right, then you can feel better about being better than everybody else. Um, there's a lot of things I see a lot in the church today. Um, but I, I did like how the Shawshank Redemption is like, sometimes we have to redeem ourselves. You know, sometimes we have to do the hard work to bring our own redemption to our own life. And that's what I do in my own life to be a better father, to be a better speaker, to be better, you know, I work on myself. I, I go to therapy. I see my analyst. I read tough books, you know, always trying to improve myself. Look at this one big bright spot of light. Maybe I should be sitting here. Um, Kim Radford said, uh, um, oh, you know, one of the things I also want to say about the Sarah Shake Redemption is I, I wrote down one of the lyrics to uh, the song, uh, Redemption song. Emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. And that's Bob Marley. You know, is this idea is that we have to be willing to, to almost in some ways not be offended so easily 
and to not allow others to control how we feel because that often gives them control, that gives them control over us. If someone can get us angry and man, and offended and, uh, and grasping our pearls, that gives them some side of control. And what I think we need to be able to hopefully do is be willing to look at opposite ideas and things like that and not be afraid that they're gonna change us. And if they are good and they're, you know, and they're worthy, then maybe they do change us, you know? And if they're not, then we, we reject them, but we don't get so fearful of, of, of different ideas and different opinions and different things like that. You know, that we're allowed ourselves to go, you know, like the Terminator, you have all these like, you know, goes with the idea like, go screw yourself or I'll be back or whatever, you know? And we have these things of like, listen, learn, run, talk, engage, disengage, you know? And we kind of like allow our wisdom to, to show us what to do in those moments of, of questioning and being questioned and confronting things that may make us uncomfortable. Um, because I think we're gonna learn more by sitting down with people we disagree with. We might learn even more about ourselves than we would expect because when we're able to see ourselves through others' eyes, um, we can kind of go, oh, oh, okay, well, I never thought that way, you know? And we grow in wisdom and strength and understanding of ourselves and hopefully strength and wisdom and understanding of other people, which also will give us hopefully favor with other people. Um, I'm gonna have to think about speaking somewhere else after next week because the sun is like hitting. Um, Kim Radford said adopting her son after trying to have a child for a long time and going through the really tough adoption process was really redemption for her. And I thought that was really powerful because for me having my own children, it's like it, it is it, it really grasps your life and puts you into some sort of um, perspective gives you a perspective of loving others and loving other human beings and loving these children in your life, these people that, you know, you're, you're parenting and um, you get a much better understanding of, of, of like the parental love, the love that you hear a lot about in the Bible and things like that. And, you know, you realize like, oh, here's somebody I'm going to love no matter what, you know, I mean, I'm going to help try my best to love them right and, and guide them and make my life better and provide for them and give them what they need and, and help them enjoy life, uh, help them study hard and help them do all these hard things. You know, like this love is really this great thing. And I think for me, one of the things that kids have brought into my life is I feel like I'm definitely a better speaker. I'm a definitely better, more understanding. I'm definitely more empathetic with people. Um, you know, there's also times where I'm not great, where I've, I've talked about like in the in the drop-off pickup, which luckily has been going great, everybody. Update, it's been going great. Pickup's been going great. Um, but you also get into that, like, I get into that papa bear mode of like, protect children at all. You know, you don't want anybody beating up on your kids or messing with your kids. Um, so empathy is a good place to be there too um, for others. But yeah, I mean... For me, my children have brought in a perspective into life that I never had before, and I'm so grateful for it. You know, I don't think it's anything I could have ever learned from reading a book. Um, in a strange perspective as well, it's, it's, it's neat, it's really beautiful, and, and um, um, yeah, if you try to love other, I mean, you know, Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm really glad it, it didn't say love your neighbor as your children. I don't know if I could possibly ever do that. I love my kids so much. They're like top, top of the list for me. Um, so yeah, a different perspective. So let's, let's look at like three different types of, of redemption in the Bible biblically. Let's look at three different ideas. And... Uh, one of the one of the one of the other things is um, oh I was gonna give you some of the, the the biblical actual like translations for redemption and one is ransom deliverance rescue and I know a lot of my my buddies who, who, who myself who don't who struggle with this idea of atonement theory but substitution <laughs> paid the price and I wrote I'm adding grace I'm adding grace to this. Um, so um, I like this idea of deliverance, though, and I like this idea of rescue. I like the idea of rescuing is, is a way of redemption. It's like we're rescuing. And thinking back to the original beginning of the talk of Sinead O'Connor, bringing us 
rescuing us, allowing us to see the truth and rescuing those children who were suffering so that suffering would hopefully stop and that people would put a stop to it and that justice would be brought to those families. You know, and um, I really do hope that one day SNL and people like that like have her back on and apologize because I think it's very powerful to speak to this world about like redemption. You know, we don't want to redeem you, Sinead, but we want to thank you for redeeming us. Um, so on Luke, Luke 15, turn to your Bibles to Luke 15, everyone. Um, Now this is in the middle of, of, of the prodigal son. And we're gonna look at this, Luke 15. Um, Do I say 15? I'm at 18, I believe. No, yeah, 18, I'm sorry. We'll go, we're gonna jump to 15 after this. Um, 18, dee, 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 nine. Oh, you know what? I, I love that I wrote down the wrong um, chapter. Um, so I'm going to just tell you what happened here. Wait. Here it is. Uh, yeah, I was right. It was Luke 15. Boop, 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 boop. When was 18? Hold on, everybody. Technical difficulties. Oh yeah, this is the one I wanted to start out with. I didn't want to start out with the prodigal. I wanted to start out with this one. That's great. Luke 18, 9 through 14. My notes are always messy. Um, Luke 18, 9. Jesus also told the parable to some he trusted. <clears throat> he also told the parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. So he's talking to those who think they're righteous, things those who think they have their, their, their life together. And I often think about this, this beginning of this when he goes, he also t told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they thought they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. I always think about this as when the Pharisees were uh, confronting Jesus and the disciples at Matthew's house saying like, why does he eat with such scum? And Jesus says, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call sinners, not those who think they're good enough. That's the New Living Translation that he adds that think they're good enough. And I think they actually really grasp that really well in that translation, even though it's a paraphrased translation. But I always think about those because I felt like those, those, the Pharisees that were asking that were those like this. They also, the parable, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. So listen to this. How many of us think we're righteous and guard others with contempt because we're uh, because of our political stances? Do we think we're righteous and hold others in contempt? Do you hold others in contempt and think you have it a little bit more together because of your political beliefs? Of course, of course you do because you those are your political beliefs. But do you hold others in contempt, or are we trying to be like maybe we should sit down and have tough conversations? Let's go into this. Two men <clears throat> went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying, Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to the heaven but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. And sometimes, believe it or not, speaking the truth, knowing who you are, knowing where you stand, um, You know, knowing is being humble. You know, uh, to, you know, this man went down to his home justified rather than themselves. But all who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, I mean, for for someone like Sinead O'Connor to take that stand, and and she said her agent said I was running after her. Like 
her agent and we're friends. And she's like, I'm running after her and I can't save you from this, Sinead. I can't save you from this, what you've just done on Saturday Night Live. And she said she looked, and this is from the agent, the agent said she looked right back at her and said, I don't want you to. I don't need you to. You know, if I have to be humiliated for 30 years until someone makes a documentary to show that I was actually speaking out on behalf of really people who were really suffering horrifically, then we'll wait. And that's what she did. And she still has made beautiful art and beautiful music. I, like I said before, never made a bad album. Um, she also suffers from mental health problems. She's lost children. She's been through hell and back. And, and, and I find her like a kindred spirit because I've, I've also suffered from mental health issues as well. Um, so, so this idea of, I think some of us have been raised in a church system where we've been told we're bad our whole life, so we don't want to think of ourselves as bad, or we don't want to think of ourselves in the tax collector situation, or we don't want to think of ourselves, you know, but I, I like to keep myself there because I like to realize that there's so much stuff I don't know. Um, there are things that I do wrong at times, you know, there are mistakes I make. You know, none of us are perfect, but what it allows me to do is, is to even realize, and like Dr. King, I learned through Dr. King's work, is to see even the, the, the Pharisee and look at the Pharisee and go, God, that poor guy. How can I, you know, how can we help him realize his humanity because he's missing out on others' humanity? You know, like those people like Dr. King really, you know, and the message, this is the message of Christianity is that Really, the one who's going to be the one that, that leads the, the, the Pharisee to redemption is the tax collector, is the one he pities, is the one he looks down upon. And um, I think, you know, that's when you just kind of sometimes have to say, I got to be me, you know, warts and all. I'm not perfect. I don't have everything together. You know, there's times I'm a complete mess. You know, and being honest with that self, I think living in grace, and that's why I love grace so much, is this idea that you are accepted. You're accepted by that which is greater than yourself. And for me, like, I wasn't able to, to go into a 12-step program until I realized grace was real. Like, as soon as, like, the law was taken off of, of, of alcohol and God's fury and all this stuff, and I was, like, free to do whatever I wanted, is when I was like, well, I, I want to do this for me. I want to... I'm... I don't want to be feeling bad and guilty and messing my life up anymore. You know, as soon as the rules and regulations were stripped down and I knew I was accepted and I was free to do what I wanted to do, I was free to, to, to get my life together. You know, I think that's what we, we don't realize often is like, you know, I think that's why purity rings are so ridiculous is because you've got this thing on your finger or these like, Colleges are like, don't touch each other, you know. And like, I'd be at college thinking about like, all I want to do is touch another woman. I just, oh my god, I'm not supposed to. And it would even be more like, oh, um, <laughs> how excited and titillating, you know. And then the idea when the rules go down, you go, oh, this is, I'm just gonna live life and and everything, you know. It just kind of takes the excitement out of it. I mean, did we not, we learn nothing from that the tree in in, in the Garden of Eden? Um. So yeah, so so you what you have here is 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 the example of the Pharisee who's saying, "Thank God I'm not like them, and I don't need it, and and I don't need it." You know, and I often think about that. Like sometimes I have a hard time. Um, there's this really funny guy that who 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 uh, for the Daily Show, and he always interviews uh, conservatives. But a lot of times he's just really making fun of them and just showing like, "Oh, look how stupid they really are." You know, and there's times where I just like I just can't watch it because I'm going like this. This is just humiliating these people. Uh, you know, and, and picking out the probably the people who don't know the most aren't the smart. You know, oh, hey, let's get the guy with the giant eagle tattooed on their shirt and like you know the big red giant cowboy hat. This is make America great again, and let's make mockery of this person who you know. I don't know. I, I don't think that that's really the you know. I like comedy. You know, I think. Comedy is good. I think it, it makes us uncomfortable, and I like that. I like being uncomfortable. I like being challenged to think differently. Um, and, and I think, un, uh, unfortunately, probably comedians do that better than most uh, speakers or ministers or pastors. They bring us all together and go, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's like, just love each other, man. Um, <laughs> that's what I would say if I was the comedian. But, um, 
and I and I and I'll tell you that that loving people who don't want to be redeemed. I think I would say like loving the Pharisee, trying to redeem the Pharisee, trying to redeem someone like that though is one of the hardest things you'll ever do. It is not for the faint of heart. For those who think they have it all together, no matter if they're conservative, no matter if they're liberal, you know, if they think their shit don't stink and they've got it figured out and this is how it is and this is who's in and this is who out and they got it figured out, it is very hard to communicate redemption to those people for them to even see it and to love them. And all you can do is just love because at times it is that kind of like throwing your pearls to the swine where the, they come back and they crush the pearls, you know. Uh, in the verse, uh, but it's it's definitely not for the faint of heart. I mean, I have tried most of my life to redeem those who who see no need for it, you know, because I've always felt like I wanted to see the church have another reformation and wanting to do that. Now, I'm speaking to live right now, I'm speaking to 12 people. So I don't know how good that's going for me to reform the church. You know, I mean, we're the number of the disciples right now, so maybe we're doing good. I don't know. But seriously, like, Every time I've taken another step, it's been like cast over here, cast over there, do over that. You know, I mean, it, it's 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 a very it's very hard work and it's disheartening work. You know, and you'll be accused, oh, you're tickling the ears and you're trying to win listeners. I'm like, no, I'm losing ears and listeners and people connected to ears. Um, it's a tough job if you want to see that done. Um, Luke 15, now we're there, finally. Luke 15, um, twenty-eight says, um, the, the, this is the older brother. The prodigal son has come home and all this stuff and they're celebrating, they're throwing a party and the older brother comes into the situation and sees his brothers returned after, after being gone for a long time. He goes, then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and begged and pled with him, but he answered to his father, listen, for all these years, I have been working like a slave for you and I have never, you know, and I've never disobeyed your commandments. Yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of you came back, who was devoured, who, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you'll always be with me and all that I have is yours. But this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and now he's been found. And so sometimes when redemption comes, some of us who've been, you know, towing the line the whole time, we get upset, you know. Um, it can be through jealousy. It can be through misunderstanding how things work. We think, well, I've done right my whole life. Why should they get grace? And I think that's what we see a lot of in the church today on both sides of progressive and conservative is that nobody really needs, um, um, nobody really, no one deserves it. But that's the great thing about grace is that grace isn't about deserving or not deserving. It's not about what you've done or not. You know, what you see here is good works versus bad works. And works really become like this grid and we get into these oh, bad works and good works and but you know a lot of these works are just separating us from knowing who god is knowing what grace is knowing what acceptance is because if we're working hard and think we've got it figured out then we're like, oh, we don't need your grace you know save that for those guys you know and then they get it and you go well i don't think they should get it because they really haven't been keeping up with what i'm doing you know and it's it's, it's not trusting in the power of grace or the transformative power of grace, which I believe is real, even if there is no God. I believe that this grace would still be, is still something real and, and supernatural in a way, or it works on our brains that gives us this freedom, this freedom to live, but also gives us this freedom to be kind to one another and do better things for each other when we realize what it is. When we realize, oh, you know, it allows us to have sympathy for others and empathy for others. It's, it's really a beautiful thing that I think is like, I can't, explain to you exactly how it works. Um, but when the taboo is removed, you know, and it's just, well, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial, to quote the Bible. Um, and you go, oh, well, that's not really benefiting my life. That's not benefiting me as a father. That's not benefiting me as a speaker. That's not benefiting me as a whatever, you know, as a, as a partner. That's not, it's not benefiting me. And, and it kind of becomes different when you take off the, uh, the ban 
Um, so how much is grace cover though? You know, how much, how, how, what can we really be redeemed from? I mean, so far we're seeing a brother who got redeemed because supposedly his brother said he went and got prostitutes and wasted all his money on wild living. So he got redeemed. But I mean, that covers a lot of us in high school. Um, <laughs> high school is kind of crazy. Um, but, um, you know, you know, and then we have the, t the testimony hour where we try to out-testimony everybody. Oh, you thought you were bad. I was really bad. Um, so, so what does that hold? So let's jump over to Acts real quick and take a look at that. And um, see what it does cover. And I think it's Acts 9. Um, doo -doo -doo -doo. nine one. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that he found anyone who believed to the way, which was the way is what they used to call. Christianity, I think we should call that again. I like the way. To the way, men or women, he might bring them bound, which is handcuffed, uh, bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, to whom you are persecuting but get up and enter the city and you will be told what to do. Then the men traveling with him stood speechless and they speechless and heard that because they heard the voice, but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground and thought his eyes were open. He could see nothing. So they led him to the hand and brought him into Damascus. I love that though. He thought his eyes were open. He saw nothing. Um, for, for three days, he was, without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, why I say who is this grace for is because I think when we think, of, we think of horrible people and we always try to think who's out, we want the asterisk by the grace. Um, now, when Paul is, is, is having these, these, these um, followers of the way, women and men bound and brought to Jerusalem, um, you know, they didn't go through a deep, they weren't going to be deprogrammed and they weren't saying like, hey, you know, here's a book about why Christianity is wrong and, and bad for you. More than likely, they were being led to being killed uh, or, or punished horrifically. It wasn't a good thing. Uh, Saul was not a good man. And the funny thing, the Saul and Paul thing is, is that you can translate his name either way. So it wasn't that he just decided to change his name when he's like, I was Saul, but now I'm Paul, you know. It's, it's kind of a translation uh, mishap there. But anyway, the point is, is that Paul goes on to write Galatians, you know, and trying to get Jews and Gentiles to live humanistically and be kind to one another and love one another and restore one another and care for one another and really becomes this guy who clarifies what grace really is. So how far is too far? Well, I mean, if you look at someone like Paul who was murdering people of the way, uh, at least having them beaten and, 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 and tearing families apart and going and finding them and bringing them to be held in front of court for their religious beliefs, I'd say that's pretty shit. That's pretty bad. Um, so I would say that not grace abounds. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. And I think we're always looking for that asterisk. You know, and everybody's asterisk is different nowadays. And I hate that asterisks sometimes have political belief systems along with those asterisks of, oh, no grace for you, sorry. <laughs> um, you registered wrong. Um, could you imagine if we get to heaven and it was like, actually, it was the Green Party, guys, sorry. Oh, yeah. Ooh. So there's about 12 of you in here so far. Oh, sorry, guys, downstairs. Um So, you know, you would think that, 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 that Paul would be beyond redemption, yet he wasn't. 
you would think that that guy who we were talking about earlier, who was the racist and who was a member of, uh, you know, uh, a Nazi group, you know, like a black man would see him and say, this guy's beyond re redemption. But instead he sat down with him and they had conversations and he led that guy and redeemed that guy out. You know, he brought redemption to that man and pulled him out of that group by, by simply by listening and having conversations and helping him think well and having good arguments and helping him uh, think critically about these, these choices and these decisions he was made, making based on racism. He, he, he showed him what Dr. King was trying to show so many of us is that we were victims of misinformation. You know, that we'd been programmed and he deprogrammed this young man, him and another friend who was a, a white guy, Two of them, they sat down, they listened, they heard him, they had the conversations, and they cared enough to listen, cared enough to share the truth with him in a loving way that brought him into repentance, that brought him into a new way of living, that brought him into a new thing of going like, oh, this isn't how it works, you know? We're all humans, oh, you know? No one is beyond that. I think that's why I've always liked, even one of my, my, my first talks was, I always shared this, this verse in uh, Romans. Um, I always like once a year try to give my first talk over again to see if I've learned things from it. Because I just had one talk when I first started and then I was like, I hope I never speak anywhere twice, you know. Um, and it brought the house down, it was pretty good. Um, <laughs> But uh, no, that wasn't my very first one. My very first one did not bring the house down. It was awful. Like I literally came off the stage at this youth group and it was like a really big youth group. And I was like, Lord, I will never do this again if you even exist. And I will never speak to more than two people ever again in my life. Um, I was really humiliated. Because um, it was a bad talk. <laughs> um, so Romans uh, 3, uh, 323. Since all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So for me, also is pretty much, a, a, I guess, a Christian universalist, but I'm not really a confessional Christian. It's hard to explain. We'll get into that one day. But as someone who just sees grace is for all people, redemption for all people, sees Christ as redemption, but I see that this also allows us to know that we've all fall, we all fall short, we all sin, we all make mistakes. There's, there's no one beyond it, you know? And we're all at times in the position of that tax collector or of that Pharisee. You know, we're all in those positions at different times. And I think it's when we, we, we've got to, you know, continue to ask ourselves the hard questions and do self-examination and look at ourselves and look at others and, and see when we're doing that. Who, you know, it's wild because for me, for a long time, I, I had this switch from like leaving like conservative Christianity and going to like this more liberal idea of Christianity. And it happened slowly, you know, and it's funny because it happened as I studied more just and actually all my study books at the beginning came from the family Christian bookstore, so blame them. But as I studied more, and so for a while, for me, um, for a while, I, I kind of started to say, oh, maybe the conservatives are the bad guys, you know? Like, because I, I, I had this idea of, no, you know, there was no dialectic <laughs> allowed, you know, no two opposites could work together, you know? Uh, no contradictions could help tell a greater truth. So I thought, you know, um, um, Binary thinking, I am the king of binary thinking, and here I am. And so I thought, well, maybe these are the bad folks, you know? And so I go with this group, and then I started realizing, hey, these group, this group isn't all that great either. So am I gonna have to start a third group? <laughs> and um, what I've decided is that, no, people are people, you know? And I, I, everybody has their different things. And there are different ways of believing, different reasons for believing, and someone might believe something because you haven't sat down and talked to them yet because you haven't had a conversation, or they haven't read a great book, or they didn't read the book that you read, or they didn't listen to the music that you listened to growing up, you know, whatever. Um, that's why I think communication is good, loving others and, and having empathy for others and realizing that you know there's a lot of people we haven't walked in our shoes and we haven't walked in their shoes, not just those who suffer, but those who, who, who are doing really well, as, you know, and those who prosper. We have not often walked in either of those shoes, um, or maybe a little bit in both. Um, so I'm going to end with this, because this is what the guy in Acts, you know, who is destroying people who follow Christianity the way. 
Um, this is something he said, and I think it's very powerful when it comes from Paul, uh, especially because given his 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 panache for wanting to see uh, Christianity destroyed. Um, in Galatians three. Um, Galatians 3.13. Today's the 13th, by the way, right? Sunday the 13th. Um, Paul says this, um, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And the more I understand about Paul, I realize that probably the original reason he was going after Christians so much is because he felt like anyone who would follow a cursed Messiah was really disturbed in the head and was really did not, you know, belong and, 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 and was second class, third class, fourth class citizens, which is very interesting that he embraces Christ and then he goes, well, I'm going to reach the Gentiles, the people that we've always treated as second class citizens as not being whole because of their birth. You know, now I'm going to go reach them and we're not going to have any of this stigma of Jew and Gentile, us and them anymore. Which is very interesting that this is what Paul does here. And it's very interesting that he uses the word as we've been set free from the curse of the law. Because saying the law is what was the curse. And we always want to reset a new law. We always want to create a law. That's why we say grace is anarchy because it moves outside of all of our laws, all of our ideas, all of our theologies, all of our philosophies. Grace accepts. It comes in and accepts things. Oh, it's not fair. I don't like it. You know, it's like, yeah, well, that's anarchy coming in with grace. Oh, it's tough. Makes me mad. Why would Jerry Powell get grace there, you know? Um, why would I have to forgive this person? Um, why do I have to love my enemy, you know? Do I have to love enemy enemy, though? You know, that kind of question. And and he's saying that the the, the reason that the, the, the curse, the law of the curse, is the law is the one that, accept, that continues to put up these walls and continues to show us, oh, these are people are bad and we're good and this. And it's the, it's contrary to the gospel. It's contrary to the message of Christ. Sorry, everybody. My phone went into low power mode. So uh, I'm not going to need to plug it in because we're, we're pretty much done now. But, um, and this is the axe guy. But all of a sudden is saying, you know, forget, you know, I was, trying to kill you guys because I was like super zealous. Of the, I was like abusing the law, you know, and he's like, let's just get rid of the law, not create new ones that continue to put up division between all of us and uh, who are trying to follow the way. Um, so hopefully this talk of redemption is, is seeing like, you know, none of us are outside of that reach of redemption and redemption often comes from someone who's been rejected and we think they're being redeemed when we're really realizing that we're the ones being redeemed as, 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 as Sinead O'Connor. Or, you know, you look at someone like the Apostle Paul who was redeemed and then ended up redeeming a bunch more other people from setting them free from self-hate and communities from falling apart and destroying each other. Um, you, know, you, you know, when we look at the, the you know, this these different parables, we, we see that where redemption lies. And redemption kind of knows where we need to be for that redemption is knowing where the cards lie, making unpopular decisions, standing up for what we believe in in, in, in tough times. Um, but also, you know, uh, maybe seeing our enemies as, as people who are victims too, just victims of a different way of life, of misinformation, of being raised in a different type of denomination, different type of church, different type of thing. Anyway, that's, that's my two cents today. So... Um, I hope, you know, and, and oh, and like Shawshank Redemption is sometimes it's just us chipping away at our, uh, our addictions or our own prisons or things like that to set our, you know, be redeemed from something that we're captured in. Um, so there's many different ways to redemption and uh, how redemption works. And I think it's quite beautiful because I think we can see a lot of why I love grace is because I believe like redemption lives in grace. Love lives in grace. You know, these are these ideas that are just incredibly go through all, they all kind of like go through each other and are connected. And so even when there's these contradictions, this greater truth can come above them. And uh, we can kind of realize the humanity of each other. Um, so anyway, that's it. Listen, if you like what we're doing, you like the work that's happening here, 
we could use I have not been paid since October. I'm not going to lie. Um, it's not easy. I do have another job that's keeping me alive right now. But um, honestly, I can't continue doing Revolution uh, as a volunteer at this point. I will have to take on some other work. So if you like uh, what we're doing, maybe consider giving us um, a donation, uh, financial donation over at revolutionchurch.com. Um, it would help us uh, get to uh, a place where we're just staying afloat. Um, really, there's not even any dream of growth or anything right now at this point when we're at this limit of going like, uh, are we really going to make it? Um, yeah. So, hey, anyway, if you can, support revolutionchurch.com and um, go there. Keeps this work going, keeps what we're doing going. It, it, you know, you go, hey, Jay, I don't have money. I can't do that. You know, I always say, like, another way you can help support us is by sharing these talks with your friends, um, retweeting us, sharing us uh, in your Instagram stories and letting people know about what we're doing um, in, on your Facebook stories or your Facebook messages and your social media, letting people know what we do or word of mouth even of just telling people about revolution and, 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 and where we're at and what we're doing. You know, we've been here for about 30 years. And um, so one more thing, how to support you can go to revolutionchurch.com. There's a donation button at the top. You can click on that, revolutionchurch.com, donation button, boop, and it's PayPal. You can give monthly or you can give one-time gift, and it's tax deductible, and we're almost at the end of the year, so some of you might want to do that. It would really be helpful because it's been, you know, it's been tough, especially since we moved out here and haven't got a building, and, you know, we're doing this all online right now, and we lost Caleb, and we've lost, you know, Josh, but Josh is in New York, so it's just hard getting all this stuff wrapped up together, especially without finances. Um, so you can do there, or if you say, hey, we don't have finances, you can you know, share our stuff on your different social media platforms and let people know about our work. That would also really help. We've been, I've been doing this for almost 30 years now, and I'm grateful to have had this this long. So if it doesn't last much longer, I'm grateful for the time that we've had here. But hopefully we maybe have uh, at least you know 30 more years. And Goodbye, everybody. All right, thank you guys. Uh, Redemption. Bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.